we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. This is Mark Krikorian, the executive director of the center. And remember to stay tuned after our interview for some closing comments that I'll be making. But our interview this week is with Jessica Vaughn, who is the Director of Policy Studies here at the Center, has been working on immigration for many years. And she has a new report out analyzing some new data from Homeland Security about visa overstays. In other words, people who don't leave when their permission to be here has expired. They came in legally, but they essentially became illegal aliens by not leaving in time. And this is a real important part of the broader immigration enforcement picture, but one that doesn't really get talked about enough because, you know, frankly, it's just harder to envision. If you're writing news stories or you're an editor and you're putting together a web page or a newspaper or a TV broadcast, what do you take a picture of? There's no, we can't take a picture of somebody overstaying a visa, whereas at the border, it's easy. You have pictures of fences and the river and people wading across and all of that sort of thing. And I actually think that difficulty in finding a way to visualize the issue of visa overstaying actually is a, a big part of the explanation of why this enormous share of the illegal immigration issue doesn't get talked about enough. And so that's one of the things that Jessica was trying to remedy by this report. So uh, thanks for joining us, Jessica. And tell us a little bit about what was this report. First of all, it's from 2020, so it's not super up to date, but this is the latest data available. What's the report and what did it tell us? So this is an annual report that is required for DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, to compile at Congress's mandate. And the reason is that Back in the 90s, when the first World Trade Center bombing happened, Congress began to be aware of the share of illegal immigration that is not illegal border crossers, as you described, but people coming in on a visa that had been legally issued, obviously erroneously, but someone coming in on an airplane rather than crossing the Rio Grande. The connection to the World Trade Center bombing is that the people who did that act of terrorism were visa overstayers. And the same is true of most of the 9-11 hijackers. These are not people sneaking in, but coming in in plain sight and simply overstaying their visas and not going home when they're required to. So after many years, the Department of Homeland Security finally developed the capability to do this. And it's part of our larger entry-exit system for tracking what happens with people who enter the country and gives the government some information about exactly who is overstaying 
from what countries and in which visa categories. So it's really, really useful information, especially for the State Department, which is responsible for issuing the visas to begin with. To interrupt you for a second, the reason we didn't have reports like this before is because we just didn't know whether someone had left when they were supposed to. There was no tracking. I mean, there's been sort of halting steps in that direction. And in a sense, almost regardless of what the data is, it's a good sign that they at least have this data and they at least know what's going on to a limited degree, right? Because this is only airports. This is not people who have driven one way or the other across the border. Right. This is air and sea entries. Right. Okay. With obviously air entries being the largest in number. Right. And so for a long time, we've understood that about 40% of the illegal population is believed to be overstays. But until this report began to be compiled by DHS, ordered by Congress, we didn't really know who was overstaying, which categories, and what the real number is. Now, we really don't have a number for people entering by land who are overstaying, right? but at least we know more about who's coming in on airplanes and overstaying. And they break it down into different categories, people who are coming in on a regular short-term visitor's visa or business visa, people who are coming through the visa waiver program, students and exchange visitors, and workers, and also visitors from Canada and Mexico who come by air and sea. And not only is it useful information for policymakers, but it's a real eye-opener when you start to understand the numbers of people who are not complying with their visas or their terms of admission. And it's a large number of people. In 2020, DHS counted 684,000 people who did not leave when their authorized duration of stay was over. And otherwise, like they may have a visa that's issued for multiple years, but you're only allowed to come in for a period of up to six months on a temporary visa or three months on a visa waiver. And more than 680,000 people failed to do that. And so that's ignoring our laws at a really high rate of people. And about half of them are short-term visitors, with the rest being a mix of the categories that I just described. And the department also counts how many of them will leave later as opposed to just complete, you know, staying on in the United States. It turns out that right. a bunch of people do overstay, but they eventually leave within a few months. But the number who end up staying longer than just a few months after their visa duration is over is still well over 500,000 in one year. So that's so a large number. Are there any consequences? Let's just say that 100,000 people you said almost 700,000 didn't leave when they were supposed to. But of those, about 100,000 eventually left. You know, maybe they stayed an extra, like you said, an extra month or two, and then they left. Are there any consequences for people who overstay and then leave? In other words, let's say they go back, they overstayed two months, they go back to wherever it is, Romania, and then their visa, which is good for, as you said, multiple years, then they just, you know, come back and are there any consequences at the you know, U.S. Customs and Immigration where they have to check in, show their passport? Do they get in? Does anybody care? What happens? Well, there are no formal penalties like a fine or anything like that that we mail them. 
But there usually are consequences in that if you try to apply for another visa, the State Department is not likely to issue it to you, depending on the circumstances and how much time has elapsed. But most consular officers would not be inclined to issue a visa, another visa to somebody who's already overstayed. And if the visa is still valid and you try to go back, let's say you come over, stay for a year, you know, go home for Christmas and try to get back in. Right. Customs and Border Protection at the ports of entry, they're probably not going to admit you at that point. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, there is some at least potential for consequences, although, you know, it seems to me it need to be much more predictable and clear if it were going to have any kind of deterrent effect. And that's part of the problem is that there is not much of a deterrent right now. And that's an important key to deterring overstays would be to have people believe that if they overstay, something's going to happen to them and that the risk of overstaying and having consequences for that is greater than overstaying and being able to get a job and live here as an illegal alien. And I think we have to admit that part of the problem is the reason we have so many overstays is because people can get a job. They can get a driver's license in a lot of states. They can live here as if they were here legally, and it's not that easy to be caught. Right, right. I remember I uh, talked about this once with, it was Senator Carper, I believe, from Delaware, a Democrat from Delaware. He had been governor, and he had said something to the effect of, why don't we just send a text message to people when their period of stay expires? Because he had done something like that as governor related to welfare issues. I forget what it was. And he said that, I mean, his take, and I think he was right on this, is that one of the reasons people think they can overstay visas with impunity is that there's no sense anybody's watching them. Whereas if, say, two weeks before your period of stay is up, let's say you got a six-month authorization to be here at the airport from the CBP officer, and you have some recommendations on that we'll get to later, but let's say you got your six-month period, it seems to me that, say, two weeks before that expires, you should just get a text message from Uncle Sam saying, you know, greetings. We hope you had a great time in America. Make sure you leave on time because if you don't, you might not be able to get back in next time you come to visit us. You know, have a nice day. And it seems to me just the perception that someone was paying attention would reduce overstay rates significantly at extremely minimal cost. That's exactly right. In fact, the Trump administration actually piloted a program just like that at CBP. I don't know what the results were. I think it'd be worth finding out. But they did have a program to send a text message to people shortly before the expiration of their stay, reminding them of the consequences of overstaying. Now, I think it would be interesting to see how well that worked. But common sense says it it should work. Yeah, and it doesn't cost anything anyway, practically. So even if it just reduces overstays by 5%, that's gravy. That's a Right, success. bang for buck, that's a pretty cost-effective way to get people to comply with the visas, for sure. So now that we have this kind of relatively detailed data, and the report's on our site at cis.org, it's not super long, but you summarize by category sort of what the story is. This seems to me a level of data that's at least detailed enough that the State Department should be able to use this to maybe improve their own jobs. Because every time somebody overstays a visa, 
that represents a failure of the State Department's visa issuing function, as well as CBP at the borders, at the airports, their decision to let somebody in or not. So do you know, are there any efforts to basically make use of this so they can say, okay, well, this category of people from this country who are getting visas at this State Department post abroad overstayed at much higher rates than others. And so let's look at how we can fix that. Is anything like that happening? I'm not aware of anything like that happening right now, but there is sufficiently detailed information in this report. And also, the State Department could access even more detailed information working with DHS to get it. But there definitely are policy implications to the statistics in this report because it's mixed news. What we found was that the good news is, is that student and exchange visitors in particular seem to be overstaying at significantly lower rates. I shouldn't say seem to be. They are more compliant with visas in 2020 than they were for the five years previously. We saw a really significant decline in student and exchange visa overstays of like 20% in just one year. And that's good news. Yeah, it is good news. I think it's possible that there were more student visa holders who were going into programs like optional practical training or other programs after their visas expired. But, you know, that's legal. I I don't think it's, you know, that's not a good outcome, I think. But we don't really know the reasons for the decline. But it is a good thing that we have fewer overstays in that category. I think that it may also have to do with policies changing at individual consulates and embassies abroad. Hmm. How so? Well, we saw some notable declines in certain countries. Let's look at the country of Libya. In 2019, they had an overstay rate for student visa holders of about 50%. Why are we even issuing a Libya doesn't even exist in some (laughs) sense. So there are like 300 of them issued, which is not a large number, but it's not hard to say, uh uh-oh, if we've been issuing 300 visas a year and half of them are overstaying, we need to look at our criteria for granting these visas and do a better job, issue fewer of them, look for certain things. They can do what they call validation studies at post to see, you know, which people overstayed. That's how this information should be used. And, and I personally think that consular managers ought to be held accountable for the overstay rates if they're not succeeding. If it's clear through this data that they're issuing too many visas to certain types of applicants. And that may be partially responsible for some of these declines that we saw. I also mm-hmm. noticed that temporary work visa compliance rates were Im- well improved over the previous years, and especially certain countries, like particularly the country of India. Citizens of India did not overstay as much as they had in recent years. And that would be interesting to look into. Was it because of changes? Was it because they had a turnover of consular officers? Was it because of a directive that came down from main state to the field on what to look for and in these applications? We don't know, but I think that this noticeable a decline is important and probably reflects some policies that were put into place under the Trump administration, although we can't tell for sure. Interesting. 
The big problem that I see in the data is that the category that we need to be most concerned about is the short-term visitor category. Because that's the huge, that's where the huge numbers of Right. That's are. half of all the overstays are coming. Right. But I mean, and, and, you know, I'm talking about just the admission of foreigners, most of them just all across the board are coming in under these either tourist or business traveler visas. It's millions and millions of people, far more than the foreign student or worker visas. Right. So if you're seeing problems there, that's a bigger problem given the fact that the flow of people on those visas dwarfs every other visa category. Right. And about half of all of these visitor visa overstays are coming from just a handful of countries. And mostly in our hemisphere, it's mostly Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, and to a lesser extent, the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and Ecuador. For a time, Venezuela was by far the main sending country for overstays, and that's changed. Is that because they're all coming over the border illegally now? (laughs) Don't bother with the visa? I don't know. Maybe it's harder to get a visa. It's hard to tell. But another consideration is that Venezuelans and Haitians have TPS. If they can make it to the United States, they, under the Biden administration, has granted those citizens of those countries temporary protected status. Now, those are the ones who were here before, in other words, the ones who were here when that announcement was made. And when it is renewed. The Biden administration has been redesignating these countries so that even if you come after the original event that precipitated TPS, then you can benefit from that. And that's happened repeatedly with Haiti, for example. So if you can get a visa in one of those countries and come, if you overstay, there's a real reward in the form of a work permit and protection from deportation. So, So, I mean, and the point there is that our policies regarding illegal immigrants who are already here, because TPS basically is a kind of amnesty light, as we sometimes put it, those decisions that we make here actually influence people's decision-making as to whether they're going to overstay visas. I mean, we're creating an incentive to overstay because the odds are really good that if you keep your nose clean and your head down for a couple of years, you'll be able to get a work permit and a social security number next time TPS is expanded for people from your country. Right. So what are some of the other policy recommendations? Well, one key to dealing with this huge number of overstays from regular visitors visas, I think, is the authorized duration of stay, as it's known in the official jargon, which means that when you get a visa, a visitor's visa, it's typically good for five years and indefinite visits to the United States. And each time you come, typically Customs and Border Protection at the port of entry will give you six months in the United States to stay. Just so people can get clear the distinction between the visa and the period of stay, the visa is kind of the State Department's good housekeeping seal of approval or kind of pre-screening that it's okay for you to travel to the airport. But once you get to the airport, there's no guarantee you're going to be let in. I mean, almost everybody is, but you have to then show the CBP officer that you should be let in. And the visa is basically evidence that the State Department checked you out and that you're okay, but it's no guarantee. And the visa is good for, as you said, 
a longer period of time, but each time you get in, you're let in for some distinct period of time. Right. The visa gets you on the airplane. Right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because the airlines check. And by the way, the airlines are the ones collecting this data that is used to make this report. So when you get back on a plane and leave, the airlines track that and send it to the Department of Homeland Security. So that's how we count Ah, that. So there's no checkout process with DHS. It's the airlines that are telling DHS that you've left or not. Right. Exactly right. Interesting. Okay. And to continue the line that we were talking about, you can get on the plane with the visa when you arrive at the airport, let's say, whether it's Miami or New York or Los Angeles, then you go through the immigration check, which is Customs and Border Protection, Office of Field Operations. They will you know, make sure that you have a valid visa, and they're the ones that decide how long you get to stay in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right now, the default for them is six months. So even if you're just going to Disney World for 10 days, you just automatically stamp six months, uh, that's it. That's right. No matter what you told, in most cases, um, you know, you tell the consular officer, I'm going to visit my sister for a week, I'm going to Disney World, I'm going to Vegas, whatever it is. At the airport, even though CBP has access to the consular record and may see notes that were given by the consular officer, like, don't let him in for more than seven days or whatever. Right. They're going to give you six months. And what I found in my experience as a consular officer is that people know that or when they get to the United States and find out that they have six months, if they had an inclination to overstay, they're going to stay for 179 days if they are thinking about trying to live here illegally. And It just, I think, changes the whole psychology of the visa. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many times I had people come to me to have their visa renewed when I was working as a consular officer abroad. And I would look at their passport and I would see that they had visited for 170 days, you know, just almost six months. And here they are in front of me two weeks later asking to go back. And I would say, Why did you go on your first trip? Oh, well, I went to go to Disney World, but I saw that they gave me six months. So, you know, I decided to stay. And there's no need for this. We know from other statistics collected by CBP that the average traveler stays 30 days or less for the usual vacation or visit, even if you're visiting family members. I mean, unless you're a Canadian snowbird or something, and that's a whole different type of case, you're not staying for six months unless you plan to look for a job. I remember there were were recommendations after 9-11 to do just this, not to automatically give people six months to shorten it to two weeks or 30 days or something, unless there was some specific reason. Whatever happened to those things? I mean, that obviously didn't happen. It did not happen. It was a proposed rule I believe that there was probably some pressure from some interest group within the Bush administration that was never implemented. I don't know. It seems like the airlines wouldn't be against it because if you kept coming back, you're having to buy more airline tickets. I mean, who (laughs) who was it? Do you have any sense of who would have been against this? Would it have been like the 
ethnic chauvinist groups that want to sort of make sure it's easy to get in and stay here? What, what, was, uh, what was up, do you know? Well, I think that the Canadians were scared by it, but it would be so easy to have a carve-out for Canadians who are planning to stay. I mean, it's very simple. And even people who might want to stay, let's say, you know, someone comes over to visit their family member who's just had a baby and they want to help them out for a couple months. There's nothing wrong with making people like that go to secondary and ask for a longer stay, you know, and justify it. There are so many ways around it, but the whole idea of changing the duration of stay was just scuttled. And I I really don't know by whom, although I know that the Canadians were concerned about it. But as I said, that's easily addressable. Is that something that would be dealt with through statute? Or is that one of those areas where it really is kind of more a management issue that would be best changed through, say, regulation? My understanding is that it's possible to change through regulation, although there's no reason Congress could not direct the department to say the default duration of stay is going to be 30 days unless the person demonstrates a reason to stay longer. And then, you know, they can write the regulation on how they demonstrate that. Right, right. I think that would really be a game changer in terms of addressing these overstays. But there are other things Congress can do as well. For one thing... ICE should be required to make overstay enforcement much more of a priority than it already is. They devote right now almost no resources to visa compliance and imposing consequences. I mean, they get all of this same information and even more detail from CBP on overstayers. And there used to be a unit within ICE that would be responsible for analyzing the overstays that were happening and making a determination for which ones should be targeted for enforcement, you know, like the Somalian who didn't show up for class, you know, who was also a hit on a terror list or something who shouldn't have gotten the visa to begin with. But anyway, maybe they already had it, but they typically prioritized people who were thought to possibly be a national security threat and would do some enforcement. But that has dwindled to almost nothing right now because interior enforcement in general is not a priority and has been tamped down by the Biden administration, except in the case of the most serious criminals. But Congress could direct ICE to spend a certain level of resources on the overstay problem. And Mm -hmm. whether it's targeting individuals or employers or schools or pseudo schools, you know, faux degree programs that are bringing in people on student visas who are not in a meaningful academic program and then overstay. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that they could target either individuals or the bad actors within the system. I also think Congress should create some consequences for organizations or employers or other entities that sponsor people on a visa that have poor compliance. They should not be allowed to keep bringing people in, whether it's a school or an employer or what have you, a camp counselor program, whatever. They should be barred from participating in these programs if they have too high a level of people staying here rather than going back. And again, that's not hard to figure out with the information that we have now. And it seems like what you're suggesting really is 
not even just the issue of going after, say, some phony baloney school that is issuing I-20s for the student visas, and a lot of those people are overstaying. In other words, not necessarily even bad actors. It seems to me it's the kind of thing where you simply hold sponsors accountable as a matter of course, that if you're a university sponsoring foreign students or you're a company with foreign workers or what have you, part of the deal is that if more than whatever X percentage of the people that you sponsored overstay, you pay a price for that, even if you're not some crooked organization. It's just part of ensuring compliance. Right. If you're Acme Landscaping or, you know, Alpha Tomato Farm and you're using- Or Columbia University. Or Columbia University, and you know that you're not going to be able to participate in this program if, if too many people overstay or even one person overstays, then you're going to do what you can to make sure that person gets on the plane. We do this in right. other, ex, you know, government-run exchange programs that have had problems with people jumping ship. What do you mean? Former colleagues with the State Department would tell me, for example, when they were running exchange programs with countries like, for example, Afghanistan was one of them, where sometimes, you know, at the end of the program, people disappeared rather than going back to their home country. They would, you know, basically keep an eye on them and make sure that they all got on that bus to go to the airport to go home. Interesting. Right. This is not that hard if people are held responsible for this. And and the reason is because it is 40% of illegal immigration. Illegal immigration imposes enormous fiscal costs on our society. There are national security risks. As I've mentioned, terrorists have overstayed. The guy who was plotting to assassinate George W. Bush recently mm-hmm. somehow got a visa to come from Iraq and overstayed and then applied for asylum. It's simply not fair to those using our legal immigration system to look the other way at this massive scofflaw phenomenon of visa overstays. And there really is kind of an incentive, at least at the State Department side, to be less demanding because it just seems to me that Saying yes is something that's more likely to curry favor with a foreign country, if that's what you're trying to do, than saying no, which is one of the reasons, for instance, the, the motto of the guy who ran the visa section at the Saudi embassy before 9-11, his motto was people got to have their visas. And that's, in a sense, kind of the epitaph of this whole visa overstay issue is this sense that people should be getting their visas and we have to come up with a really good reason to keep people out, when in fact, legally and logically, it seems to me, it's the other way around. You have to give us a really good reason of why you should be let in, and part of what you need to explain to us or persuade us of is that you're actually going to leave when your time is up and not overstay your visa. And that's what the law says. That's what the law tells consular officers how they are to evaluate these applications. And, you know, the State Department ought to be turning around to DHS and saying, look, you know, we'd like to be more confident in issuing these visas. You know, they have visa security units in many of the embassies overseas, and especially in the countries where there's a problem with terrorism and groups that might want to come here and cause problems. But the State Department ought to be working with DHS on addressing fraud, 
and finding ways to enable them to be more confident in issuing visas, they should be advocating for more interior enforcement also. You really have to address it from both ends, from both the issuance side and the enforcement side. But it's possible to do with the technology that we have now. And what is lacking is leadership at these agencies and really having a a commitment to addressing this problem. And that, unfortunately, is uh, the root of much of our immigration problems, not just the visa overstay issue. Thank you, Jessica. Jessica Vaughn is Director of Policy Studies here at the Center for Immigration Studies, and she authored a report, kind of a summary and analysis of a report on visa overstays that came out from Homeland Security. It's on our website at cis.org. And thank you, Jessica, and we will almost certainly have you back at some point in the future. Thank you. And finally, I wanted to talk about something that was in the Washington Examiner, actually. It's an exclusive. They got a leak from somebody inside the administration that the Biden administration is dealing with the large backlog of illegal immigrants in the immigration court system. There's something like a backlog of 2 million people. They're dealing with it by just dismissing cases. It's a kind of stealth amnesty where people who should be deported, who are challenging their deportation one way or another, are uh, basically having their cases dismissed and, you know, have a nice day. Even people who have criminal convictions, just not enough criminal convictions. For instance, if you have only a couple of drunk driving arrests, and if three drunk driving arrests are the threshold, well, your case is dismissed. This is taking the idea of prosecutorial discretion to a new high or low, however you want to put it. Prosecutorial discretion is just the term for law enforcement deciding sometimes when they're going to be able to pursue particular cases or not. I mean, literally, a prosecutor can't bring every case that comes before him. The resources just don't exist. So he has to, you know, make decisions and make choices. And that's a real thing. And that exists in all law enforcement agencies. But this administration is taking the idea of prosecutorial discretion and kind of weaponizing it and using it in a systematic, consistent way to basically amnesty huge numbers of illegal immigrants. And this is just one more example of the administration's commitment to lawlessness, if you will. And the idea that Congress would consider any form of legalization or any kind of legislation that was anything other than enforcement in this environment is crazy. And yet there were reports that some Republicans in the Senate are trying to work with some Democrats in the Senate to come up with an amnesty provision now that they got some kind of gun control compromise through the Senate and was signed by the president. And so, you know, there are some people who are saying, well, immigration should be the next thing. Obviously, what they're talking about is amnestying people. And there are various pieces of legislation, pieces of a broader amnesty floating around, whether it would be for farm workers or for dreamers, so-called people who were illegal immigrants who came here at a young age, or people with so-called temporary protected status. These are illegal immigrants, basically, that we give work permits to because there was some kind of tragedy in their home country, an earthquake, a 
volcano, whatever it is. And um, it always just gets renewed. They never end up leaving. And so they have legal status, but they have kind of amnesty light instead of amnesty premium. So there are a bunch of different proposals that the pro-amnesty crowd is trying to get through. But the idea that any Republican, or really, frankly, any responsible, self-respecting Democrat, would move forward with legislation that even if it had enforcement as a component of it, would depend on this administration honestly and consistently enforcing the law is crazy. And this latest report from the Washington Examiner about how the administration is using the immigration courts as a kind of vehicle for a piecemeal slow motion amnesty should just reinforce the skepticism that the Biden administration can be trusted to actually enforce whatever laws, either the current laws or new laws regarding immigration. This is Mark Krikorian. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in next week. And if you're getting this podcast on one of the platforms that allows you to rank or review the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you did that. If you have any questions, comments, compliments, complaints, whatever it is, feel free even just to email me directly, msk at cis.org. Hope you'll tune in next week. Thanks.